on this final Sunday of the year, as we think about moving forward, I invite you to turn to the second book of Samuel, the seventh chapter. We're going to be reading the first 17 verses, 2 Samuel 7, beginning at verse 1. Let us hear the word of the Lord. After the king was settled in his palace, and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him, he said to Nathan the prophet, Here I am, living in a house of cedar, while the ark of God remains in a tent. Nathan replied to the king, Whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it, for the Lord is with you. But that night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan, saying, Go and tell my servant David, This is what the Lord says. Are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? Have I not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day? I have been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling. Wherever I have moved with all the Israelites, did I ever say to any of their rulers, whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now then, tell my servant David, This is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture, from tending the flock, and appointed you ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have cut off all your enemies from before you. Now I will make your name great like the names of the greatest men on earth, and I will provide a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people will not oppress them anymore, as they did at the beginning, and have done ever since the time I appointed leaders over my people Israel. I will also give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with a rod wielded by men, with flogging inflicted by human hands. But my love will never be taken away from him, as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. Nathan reported to David all the words of this entire revelation. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God lives forever. May it live in our hearts and in our lives. Amen. What if kindergartner says to her second grade sister, Can I play with her doll? No. Just turned 16 year old says to his dad, Dad, my friends, when they turn 16, got to get a group of their friends and drive around in the car for a while on their birthday. Can I do that too? No. Shy teenager finally musters up the courage and he says to the special someone, Would you like to go out for a date Friday night? No. Boy, that seems awful familiar. <laughs> the wife and her husband have been struggling so hard, battling furiously, and finally she confronts him. We need to see a marriage counselor. We have to put this marriage back together. Will you come with me? No. 
The husband asked the doctor, is there anything you can do to help my wife? No. No. We've all been there, and we've heard that. We know the sorrow and the pain of being refused and rejected and turned down, but what if, what if the no is from God? What do we do? How do we handle it if God says no? Let's see what we can learn as we examine this portion of David's life. First, with David, we need to develop a premise. At this point in time, David is is riding high. He's experiencing the good life. It was a period of tremendous peace and calm in David's home in Israel and in the nation's spiritual life. So David has more time than usual on his hands to tackle extra things, non-war issues, and it occurs to him that, that he lives in a beautiful palace. His people have everything that they need, but God has no permanent dwelling place. The ark is still in the tent. So why not use his time, his energy, his resources, his skills to to build a glorious temple for his great God? Certainly the premise is logical. It makes great sense. It's scriptural. David was thinking of the honor and glory of God. He loved God and he wanted to do the best for him. In fact, the chronicler, when he writes of the same story in 2 Chronicles, says it was good that it was in David's heart to do so. There's a principle here for us to remember. God commends those who love to do His will. Think of Paul's letter to the Romans. First 11 chapters are all this this deep theology. And then from chapter 12 on, he, he deals with all the practical issues of that theology. And he says there that he wants us to offer our bodies as living sacrifices. And we begin with the renewal of our minds. Why? To test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. God wants us to be discerning regarding His will. We are to envision God's vision to do great things for God, to be willing to serve whenever and wherever. Barb and I had a similar experience with a premise. We were serving in Grand Rapids in the summer of 1993. The church was beginning to prepare to celebrate the 100th anniversary, but in the process was also examining its future. The reality was that over the past 20 years, the church had slowly been losing members as the neighborhood changed radically. It became an inner city congregation and members of the church were moving into the suburbs. And in the midst of all that questioning and looking and examining, a church near Sacramento, California called and said they were interested in me as their senior pastor. That's what they called the lead pastor in those days, the senior pastor. Barb and I weren't particularly interested, but they were persistent and finally said they wanted to fly us out there for a weekend to to meet with their search team and to get a little bit of feel for their ministry, that we were one of three couples they were going to do this for. Since we wanted to not close God out of the process, we decided What did we have to lose? Besides, it was a free couple of days in California. So we got on the plane, and there we went. That was our premise. Certainly you have had and perhaps have premises in your life. At the brink of this new year, you may have several. 
Maybe we call them resolutions, maybe we call them goals, but ask yourself this morning, what is the premise or what are the premises in my life? What do you want in 2024? What do you hope for in 2024? Maybe you want your child to accept Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. You want your cancer healed or the cancer of a loved one. You want your business to succeed. You want Hope Church to grow. You want to find a mate. You really want that job you interviewed for. You desperately want your marriage repaired and restored and reinvigorated. What's the issue for you when it comes to discerning God's will? Keep that in the forefront of your mind as we continue with David's experience. So let's go back now to David. Being wise, David decided to deliberate the plan. He shared his plans and his thoughts with Nathan, the prophet, which in essence was was sharing them with God. It was a time of clarifying and, and asking and seeking affirmation, which needs to be a part of every decision process. Is it needed? Is it necessary? Does it honor God? Is the time right? Does God approve of this plan? Because here's the principle. The plan is only right when the plan is right to God. I'm sure we've all seen at one time or another that old bumper sticker that says baby on board. Well, every plan needs God on board. Proverbs 16, verse 3 states, Commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. In the ninth verse, it says, The human mind plans the way, but the Lord directs the steps. So David consults a trusted colleague, a spokesperson for God, and seeks God's affirmation and involvement. Seeking God's involvement. Isn't that really what prayer is? Prayer is requesting God through the Holy Spirit to interfere with life and bring about our desires. Let me say that again. Prayer is requesting God through the Holy Spirit to interfere with life and bring about our desires. Reminds me of a little girl named Mary. And she was having one of those days where she was just plain naughty with everything. And finally her mother sent her to a room and told her to, to think things over. So Mary went into her room. Came out a few minutes later, all smiles, and she said, I prayed, and I thought... The mother said, fine, that will help you to be good. Well, Mary said, oh, I didn't ask him to help me to be good. I asked him to help you put up with me. <laughs> Asking God to interfere. Don't we do that all the time? Isn't that what Scripture commands and invites us to do? Asking God to interfere. Jesus says, ask, seek, knock, and keep on doing so. Two parables he tells us to keep persisting until we get our answer. He says, ask whatever you will and it will be given to you. And Paul in Philippians 4, 6 says those great words, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Ask God to interfere. You see, deliberating a plan is a God-given idea. And Nathan tells David, go ahead, get busy with building of the temple. Back to 1993. Barb and I went to California. It was quite an experience there. And I, I just need to take an aside. <clears throat> There's nothing to do with the sermon, but it's cute. Not, not all of you remember Roy Rogers and Dale Evans. Some of you do, probably. Okay. 
Well, while we were there, they pointed out the facility they had that had a preschool and a daycare in it. And they managed to mention that Roy Rogers and Dell Evans had a grandchild who went there, and once in a while they came to pick them up. Now, I tell you that so you know I was at least close to Hollywood stardom once in my life as a kid. We go back to it. While we were there, we had a powerful, powerful time. Our meeting with the search team was one of those times when Barb and I felt soul to soul with people we had never met before. Like somehow the Spirit was bringing us together and they felt the same way and they said it over and over and over again. So much so that they said, would you please consider whether or not you'd be willing to move to California and if, if you believe that you would be willing to move to California, get back to us by the end of the summer and we'll fly you out for a weekend so you can lead worship meet with our congregation and get to know more about our ministry. They were convinced they wanted us to do so. Follow-up correspondence and communication simply affirmed the same thing. So Barb and I prayed. We began to see things in our devotions which gave us guidance. We sought out a friend who was a pastoral counselor to help us work through some issues and process some questions. We talked with our boys about what was happening to keep them informed, but also to test out their responses. One of them was just out of college, one in college, both living in Grand Rapids. My youngest son was halfway through high school living, of course, with us. So any kind of move to California would greatly, greatly impact our family. And yet we felt God was saying, go. So we made up our minds we'd take that trip. If that's the way it turned out, we'd go to California and move there. We committed ourselves. We chose a date. We were anxious, but we were excited about the opportunity. But now to you and that premise you tucked in the forefront of your mind, ask yourself, have I asked God if this is right? With whom have you consulted? What have the scriptures revealed to you? Have you prayed with conviction and earnestness? See, it's all part of the deliberation process. Is God on board? Back to David. David now needed to discern the permission. After a good night's sleep, Nathan came to him and said, God spoke to me and God said, David, no. Furthermore, God indicated that not only was David not to build the temple, but that his son would be the one to build the temple. David was just not the right person and this was not the right time. David's bubble was burst. But do you see the principle? God can and does say no. Sometimes our plans are God's and sometimes they are not. Sometimes the plan is good and right, but not for us. Remember Paul's struggle? He had what he called a thorn in the flesh that caused him great difficulty. And he said three times he asked God to remove it and God said no, no, no. God can and does say no. No, he does not always grant permission. I can still, almost 30 years later, feel the emotion of that phone conversation in 1993. I had my little talk all prepared when I called the contact person with whom we had maintained some contact over the weeks. Told him we were ready to go into the process, willing to seriously consider it. We had the return date chosen. I said, here's the date. And then he said, no. I could tell he had trouble putting it into words and he admitted that he was feeling terrible because they all thought that 
that I was going to be the one right up until the very end. But at the last moment, they decide to have one of the other two candidates return. And I soon discovered that not only was it not me, but it was a good friend of mine, and I asked him back because he said, if you give me a call, I will come. And our bubble had burst. We really hadn't thought God would say no, at least, at least not that quick, that soon, after all we had gone through, and we were stunned. But now back to you. Do you realize God may also say no to you? Ask yourself, am I ready for God to say no? We are always ready to give God thanks when he responds favorably and gives to us, but what about when he says no and takes away from us? What if your child has not come to accept the Lord? What if the cancer is not healed? What if the business doesn't succeed? What if the church does not grow? What if you don't find that mate? What if the job doesn't develop? What if the marriage doesn't turn around? Are you ready for that dream to die? For the great thing you plan or desire to be taken away? To seek God's will is to seek the possibility of hearing God's no. Let's return to David. How did he handle the disappointment? He sat down and he prayed. And his prayer was a beautiful, humble recognition of God's greatness and goodness and faithfulness and what God had done and what he was promising yet to do for and through David. The prayer begins right where we ended the reading of the Scripture this morning in verse 18. Who am I, O sovereign Lord? And what is my family that you have brought me this far? What more can David say to you? How great you are, O sovereign Lord. There is no one like you. There is no God but you. David responded in gratitude and submission. He couldn't fully understand how God was going to work it all out. He just trusted that God would do what he said he had promised. And as he comes to the end of the prayer, he claims the promises for his family. O sovereign Lord, you are God. Your words are trustworthy, and you have promised these good things to your servant. Now be pleased to bless this house of your servant, that it may continue forever in your sight. For you, O sovereign Lord, have spoken And with your blessing, the house of your servant will be blessed forever. The principle we learn here is a no to our plans, maybe but the prelude to God's greater plans. It's not an issue of being wrong or right, but of a willingness to live in the mystery of God's will. When God withholds or denies our plans, he eventually offers another greater one. David learned not so much about what he could do for God as to what God could do for him. And we may not be able to explain God's mysteries any more clearly, but we are drawn to trust his light even in the midst of the darkness. Remember what Job said, Job 13, 15, Even though he slay me, yet I will trust him. That's a willingness to be aligned to God's will. Back in 1993, I must confess, my first response was not like David's. Oh, I I sat and I, I prayed, but the prayer was different. I was confused, hurt, shaken, unsure. 
But over the course of time, I was renewed and re-energized and refocused. I received the vision and strength that was needed to move ahead with all the cell and merger issues that our church would eventually face. And I eventually recognized that, that through it all, God was just testing my willingness. He already knew what I had to learn, and that is, I was willing to do His will. When God said no, I had to face up to my willingness. The great businessman Warren Buffett said, In the business world, the rearview mirror is always clearer than the windshield. That's true not only for business, but I think also for the life of faith. As I look back now, I realize God had his plan. He just wanted us to accept it. Because God didn't send us to California, Barbara and I were around for the completion of our boys' high school and college days, around to enjoy the preparations for and the conduction of their weddings. And we had the privilege of merging two congregations into a greater ministry. And you know what? If we had gone to California, I probably never would have been in South Haven. We'd never have gotten back into the Southwest Michigan classes and established relationships with Allison and Kevin and you, and I wouldn't be here today. God was good again and again. It's his plan. It's his premise that matters. So looking at your life in the rearview mirror, Has God been faithful to you? Can you trust God's faithfulness? The Old Testament is filled with the testimony that God is faithful. He doesn't change His mind. He doesn't forget. He doesn't ignore us. Exodus 34, 6, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, Deuteronomy 7.9 Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God, keeping His covenant of love to a thousand generations. Deuteronomy 32.4 He is the rock. His works are perfect. All His ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong. Upright and just is He. Joshua 21.45 Not one of all the Lord's good promises to the house of Israel failed. Did you hear that? Not one of all the Lord's good promises to the house of Israel failed. Every one was fulfilled. Psalm 25.10 All the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful. From Psalm 89, and this is from the message. Your love, God, is my song, and I'll sing it. I'm forever telling everyone how faithful you are. I'll never quit telling the story of your love, how you built the cosmos and guaranteed everything in it. Your love has always been our lives' foundation. Your fidelity, your faithfulness has been the roof over our world. God, let the cosmos praise your wonderful ways. The choir of holy angels sing anthems to your faithful ways. God of the angel armies, who is like you, powerful and faithful from every angle. Everything he says and does is guaranteed. He is 100% reliable 100% of the time. Remember the prophet Jeremiah? He was looking through a windshield that was bug-spattered and covered with mud and dirt and was wrestling with the fact that from his earthly perspective, evil was winning and God's people were losing. But then he looked in the rearview mirror and here's what he said, Lamentations 3:21. Yet this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. 
They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Ask yourself, if God says, no, can I live in the mystery of his will? Can I live in gratitude? Can you, if God says no, live in the current of his will and his purposes? Are you willing to discover God's possibilities? I mentioned Paul's thorn. Listen to his learning from that experience from 2 Corinthians 12. To keep me from being conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Grace. If God said to you, I have given you my grace, would that be enough for you? With your child, with the cancer, the business, with the church, the potential life's mate, with your job, with your marriage, with God's grace? be enough? Max Lucado, in his book, When God Came Near, shared this. You see, from heaven's perspective, grace is enough. If God did nothing more than save us from hell, could anyone complain? If God saved our souls and then left us to spend our lives leprosy struck on a deserted island, would he be unjust? Having been given eternal life, Dare we grumble at an aching body? Having given heavenly riches, dare we bemoan earthly poverty? And then he shares this story. Our oldest daughter fell into a swimming pool when she was two years old. A friend saw her and pulled her to safety. The next morning in my prayer time, I made a special effort to record my gratitude in my journal. I told God how wonderful he was for saving her. As clearly as if God were speaking, this question came to mind. Would I be less wonderful? Had I let her drown? Would I be less a good God for calling her home? Would I still be receiving your praise this morning had I not saved her? And then Locato asks, Is God still a good God when he says no? God has every right to say no. And we have every reason to give thanks. That's the way we discover the possibilities of God. God does have plans for us. Plans not for ill, but for good. So sometimes he says no. He even said no to his own son. When the Garden of Gethsemane said, Lord, if it's at all possible, let this cup, let this crucifixion, let this, this carrying the burden of all humanity's sin pass from me. And God said no. But because he did, his greater plan prevailed. And through Jesus, we have received grace upon grace. By his death, we have received blessing upon blessing. Through his resurrection, God turned the evil that man can do into gracious grace by which he could save us. 
through Jesus Christ, we have the assurance, as Paul wrote in Romans 8, 28, we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. I might know a few of your premises this morning, but I don't know them all. But each of us brought some things into worship that I truly believe we need to bring to God. We want his action. We want his interference in our lives and our hearts get heavy and our hands get full. We really don't want God to say no, but, but he might. And we can cling to and keep our hopes and plans. We can submit them to God and be free from carrying them around. I love how Martha Snell Nicholson has penned it poetically. One by one he took them from me, all the things I valued most. Until I was empty-handed, every glittering toy was lost. And I walked earth's highways grieving in my rags and poverty, till I heard his voice inviting, lift those empty hands to me. So I held my hands towards heaven, and he filled them with a store of his own transcendent riches till they could contain no more. And at last I comprehended with my stupid mind and dull that God could not pour his riches into hands already full. Are you ready for God to say no? Can you empty your hands to him? Let's pray. Lord God, we confess that too often we carry around that which we need to release to you. So Holy Spirit, speak to each of us in these coming moments. Work in our hearts. In the name of Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen.